Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. I'd like to invite you to open to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We're eventually going to get there. I've got a little bit of introduction this morning since we'll be starting a new sermon series over the next few weeks. It was interesting, a few weeks ago, NBC News and the Wall Street Journal came out with a national survey. And this survey clearly illustrated the differences between the younger generation in America's values as opposed to the baby boomers and above. Now, if you're not sure how generations are broken down, uh, this is usually the way it happens. Generation Z or millennials, what we would call millennials, millennials are those ages 18 to 38. So if you're in the ages of 18 and 38 this morning, you're considered a millennial. Generation X, that's me. We are ages 39 to 54. And then there are the baby boomers and above, age 55 and above. So three big categories. And so this survey looked at the values of the millennials as compared to the baby boomers. Almost 40% of millennials considered patriotism to be a core value compared to 80% of baby boomers. About 35, this is a surprising one, about 35% of millennials consider having children to be a core value compared to 55% of baby boomers. And around, and this was the lowest, around 30% of millennials considered belief in God to be a core value compared to 67% of baby boomers. Now what this survey is showing us is that the millennials, the younger generation, the values that they have are a lot different than maybe some of the values that you here in this church that are of the older generation have valued over the years. Patriotism, the joy of having children and raising children, a belief in, in God. Our culture whether we know it or not, is discipling our youth and our children and us as adults, whether we know it or not. Now, I use that word very strategically. Notice what I said. The culture is discipling us. I didn't say the culture is influencing us. I didn't say the culture is impacting us or affecting us. I used the word discipling us. The culture is discipling us. You think about it. Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, video games, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, technology, schools, entertainment, everywhere you look, they're not just merely influencing how you think, they are discipling you in how you should live. The culture is telling you what life should be and how you should prioritize your habits 
and what you should center your life on. What type of values are you going to have? What type of morals are you going to have? What type of beliefs are you going to have? What's going to happen? The spirituality of millions of younger people in this culture are being discipled by entertainment and culture. So the question is not, parents, are my kids being discipled? Wrong question. The question is, who is discipling my children? Who is taking the primary role of shaping our worldview, shaping how we understand life? Because you are going to be discipled one way or the other. Whether you know it or not, whether you're a millennial, whether you're Generation X, whether you're a baby boomer, or somewhere in between, you are being discipled by something or someone or something. Something out there is shaping your worldview, how you think, how you approach life. So the question is going to be, is it going to be the media, is it going to be the culture, or is it going to be parents or grandparents in the church? Who's going to disciple you? Jesus gives the church a crystal clear mission and there's no ambiguity about what he's called us to do. So what is the mission of the church? It's the mission of Emmanuel Baptist Church. It's the mission of any church that has Christ as its Savior. You know this. It's called the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came to them and said, All authority... In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our mission is to make disciples. The culture is doing a great job at that. The culture is making disciples everywhere you look. And you may not even know how much the culture really affects you and how it's discipling you, but it is. And so the question is not are you going to be discipled? The question is, who's going to disciple you? What is this discipling going to look like? How is your worldview? How are your habits? How, how is your life going to be formed? So, over the past year and a half or so, uh, we as elders, the leaders of the church, have been praying, we've been studying, we've been thinking, we've been researching, we've been in a lot of discussions about the future of the church, and as we've talked about things, we've identified what we would consider a major weakness. Now, anytime you address a weakness, uh, this is not to say that there's major sin in the life of the church, but we do see that there's a weakness in Emmanuel Baptist Church right now. And here's what it is. Here's the weakness that we see. Now, there's probably a bunch of weaknesses. And so uh, if, you, if you think there's other weaknesses, come, come and talk to me after the service. But one of the things that we see right now is that there are many people who are content to come to Sunday morning, this morning, and to be a part of a worship service, which is great, and to hear preaching, which is great, and to, to hear worship, and, and to be part of a Sunday morning experience, which is wonderful. You need to be here. But what we're finding is that there's not as many people going beyond the Sunday morning to connect into some type of a smaller group. 
to connect into some type of a group where you can truly grow as a Christian. So we have a burden in Emmanuel as elders. We, we want to see two things happen. These are very simple. Two things we'd love to see at Emmanuel. Every single person that is connected with Emmanuel, we see, number one, they are trusting Jesus for salvation. We want every single person that comes to these doors to have a life-changing encounter with Jesus through salvation. But number two, we want every single person who's connected with Emmanuel to grow in their faith through sanctification. You know, there are three overall types of people at Emmanuel. Now, there's probably more, but we, we think about three types of people that come to Emmanuel, that, that, that float in and out of our church, okay? There are those that we would call need to be evangelized. There are those that are not saved, your friends and your family members and people you know that don't have a relationship with Christ, they need to be evangelized with the gospel. That's a group of people that are connected to Emmanuel, whether you may realize it or not. Number two, there's also, and this is probably the largest group of Emmanuel, there are those of you who are Christians already, but you need to be established in your faith. You don't need to be evangelized because you, you know Jesus, you have a relationship with Jesus, but you just need to be established in your faith. You need to grow. You need to connect with others. And then there's a third group. This may not be for everybody, but there's a third group of people that need to be equipped as leaders in the life of our church. Spiritual leaders equipped to serve. So how do we address all these different types of people at Emmanuel? Now, I'm going to do this backwards so that I can kind of make sure I'm doing right from left. Okay, so is this your right over here or is this your left? This is your left. Okay, so right. This is your right. Okay, so I practiced this, but it's not very good. Okay, so I want you to think about a person that does not know Jesus who's unevangelized. They're over here. Okay? And as you move more to the right, they've trusted Christ for salvation. Okay, now they need to be established in the faith. They need to grow in the faith. And then you move even further over to the right, there are those that need to be equipped to be leaders. Okay, so you never get to the finish line. Nobody's ever going to arrive in this life. Only until you step foot in heaven are you going to be fully where God wants you to be as far as your growth. But what we want to do at Emmanuel is we want to have a strategy to help you wherever you are on this continuum to move to the right. So if you're way over here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ yet, we want to help you move to the right where you can hear the gospel in such a way that you can respond. And faith to Christ. If you're a Christian and you're right here and you're kind of established in your faith, but you want to grow more, we want to help you move to the right and become more established in your faith. And maybe you're wanting to become a leader and you want to be equipped and you want to be in leadership. We want to help you get there. And maybe you're a leader and you're, you're, you're equipped. We want to help you even grow to, to the next step in your growth. So wherever you are on this continuum, we as elders want to somehow create a strategy here at Emmanuel to help you move to the right wherever you are on the continuum. And only you know where you are on that continuum. So what our strategy that we've been praying about involves three words that all begin with the letter T. You've got tell, teach, train. 
Tell, teach, train. Say it with me. Tell, teach, train. Okay. So there are three aspects that we are wanting to help you, wherever you are, move across this continuum to grow in Christ. And so there's a tell strategy, there's a teach strategy, there's a train strategy, okay? So let's, let's just talk about these. Okay, the, so the first part of our strategy is tell. Tell. Tell the gospel. Mark 16, 15. He said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Tell the gospel to everybody. Luke 24, 45 through 47. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed, should be told in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. John 17, 18, as you, this is Jesus, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. What has Jesus sent us into the world to do? To tell the gospel to those who need Jesus. Then Acts 1, 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Witnesses to do what? To tell others about Jesus in Jerusalem and in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, the first part of our strategy is we need to tell the gospel to non-believers who need to be evangelized. We as a church need to take very seriously the mandate to be telling the gospel to non-believers so that they can be evangelized, they can be Say So this is the first step of the journey where a person who does not know Jesus, they need to be told the gospel. And once they receive the gospel and trust Christ for salvation, okay, now they're a believer. What happens next? As you move along this continuum, what happens next? Okay, so the next part of the process, the next part of the strategy is what we call teach. Teach. Teach the Bible. Teach the gospel. Teach the word. That's the next step in the strategy. You go from telling the gospel to, to teaching the Bible. Okay? Just look at a few scriptures that talk about what the disciples did, especially Paul in this teaching ministry. So Acts 14, 21 through 23. When they had preached the gospel, tell. When they had preached the gospel, tell. When they told. And they had made many disciples, go and make disciples. They returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. And what did they do? Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Okay, after tell... And they made disciples, Paul says, they began to teach them. They began to encourage them. They began to strengthen them. They began to establish them in the faith. As a matter of fact, when Paul goes to the town of Ephesus, where he spent most of his ministry, the longest time in Ephesus, Acts 19, 8 through 10. This is Paul. He entered the synagogue. 
and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Paul took those who had become Christians, they heard the gospel tell, and for two years he spent time teaching them the truths of the gospel, strategically teaching, encouraging them. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Mickey read this earlier. Him we proclaim, tell, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul's goal was to present everyone mature in Christ. Okay, so we have a tell strategy. We want to tell the gospel to those that don't know Jesus. Once they get saved, we want to have a teach strategy to equip, to encourage, to teach those and establish them in the faith. But yet there is a third group of people in the life of the church, maybe a smaller number, maybe some people right now that God's stirring in your heart, that we have a train strategy, a training strategy to equip leaders for ministry. Okay? So, back to teach. We need to, sorry, Mickey, I got the slides out of order. We need to teach believers so that they can be established in the gospel. Okay, so let me just ask you a couple of questions. Maybe you're here this morning, and you've, you've taken the step from, you've, you've heard the gospel, you're a Christian, now I'm a believer. Okay, you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Okay, have you trusted Christ for salvation? Yes. Have you followed him in baptism? Have you made it public by letting everybody know that's happened to you by being baptized? Have you made that public profession of faith? Are you growing in your faith beyond just what you get here on Sunday mornings? Are you connected to a growth group, to a smaller group where you can be encouraged, you can be discipled, you can be strengthened? Are you growing in your faith? Are you in a context where you... Let me just ask it this way. Are you satisfied with where you are right now? Are you satisfied with your level of growth right now as a Christian? Or do you believe God is moving you to become stronger in Him? So there's a teach strategy to establish you in the gospel. But then the third aspect, like I said, is train. Training and equipping leaders. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. He gave, this is Jesus. Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So what's my specific job description as your pastor? He's the preacher, yes. My job description is to equip you to do the works of ministry, to be an equipper. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. 
You then, my children, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So we need to train believers so that they can be equipped as spiritual leaders to serve the body of Christ. Now this, this train equipping step on the journey may not be for everybody. But we need to have a leadership pipeline at Emmanuel for new leaders. A church rises and falls on leadership. We need some younger leaders in the pipeline. We're going to need new elders and new deacons and new growth group leaders and new ministry leaders and, and things we haven't even thought of. We're going to need more leaders. So how, as we, how are we as a church training leaders to be equipped to serve? So you've got to tell strategy. How are we sharing the gospel so that people can get saved? We've got to teach strategy. How are we teaching and establishing people in the faith? And then we've got a train strategy. How are we taking people to the next step and equipping them to be leaders and beyond? So here's the bottom line. This passage of Scripture in 2 Peter 3.18 is basically the ultimate question, the ultimate issue. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Grow. That's the question for you. Are you growing in grace and knowledge of Jesus? Are you where you need to be? So just ask the question, where are you on this journey? Ask a very personal question this morning. Where are you on this journey? And it doesn't matter. It's okay wherever you are. Maybe you're way over here this morning and, and you're not even yet a Christian. We want you to, to be able to experience what it means to be saved. Okay, maybe you are a Christian, but you, you're just, you, you need to be established. You're, you're not quite growing the way that you want to be growing. You're, you're not quite connecting. Or maybe you are an established Christian, you're a growing Christian, but maybe God's calling you to be a leader, but you just don't feel equipped. You don't feel ready. You don't feel like you've got what it, what it takes yet to, to be a leader. So, so you're going to find yourself somewhere on that journey of what it means to be a disciple. So this morning, briefly, in the time we have left, we're going to focus on tell, the first part of the strategy. Okay. Tell the gospel with boldness. What role does evangelism play in the life of this church? Why, why is telling others so important in the life of a church and in your life? So let's now look in our Bibles at Mark chapter 4. And can you bring the lights up just a minute? I just realized I've been looking in the dark, but I haven't looked at my Bible yet. Okay, Mark 4, 26 through 29. It's a very short parable, but it packs a punch. This is a parable of Jesus. Mark 4, 26. He said, the kingdom of God, as is if a man should scatter seed on the ground, he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. 
The kingdom of God is as if... And then Jesus tells the parable. So what, what is this about the kingdom of God? The question, how does the kingdom of God grow? How does God grow his kingdom? And why should we care? And why does Jesus even tell this parable? It's a short parable, but what we're going to do this morning is we're going to identify seven aspects to this parable that will help us understand why it's so important to tell the gospel. To tell the gospel. All right, so here's the first that we see in this parable. First of all, we have a sower. It's as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. A man or a woman, okay? So who's the sower? It's you and me. We're the sower. As a Christian, God has told you to go tell the gospel. You're to sow the seed. You're commanded to do that. Now, this is not just for the professionals like myself and Pastor Andrew. You're, you're the higher professionals. You guys do the evangelism. You guys do the sharing of your faith. No, the, the mandate is for every single one of us who names the name of Christ to be about telling the gospel. So whether you like it or not, you are a sower. A sower. Okay. Second thing in the parable, we have the seed. It's as if a man should scatter seed. Okay, what's the seed that you're supposed to? If you're the sower, if you're the teller, what are you telling? What are you sowing? You're sowing the seed. What's the seed? The seed is the gospel. It's the gospel message. What is the gospel message that we're supposed to be sowing, that we're supposed to be telling? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1, 15 through 14. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, the good news that I preach to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Okay, Paul, what's the first importance that you received that you're going to tell us? What's the gospel? Here it is. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. What is the gospel? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins. And Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Very careful here, very important. We need to make sure we actually sow a good seed. Not a watered down seed, not a half seed, not a I'm going to make you comfortable with my gospel message seed. We've got to give the, the true gospel. The gospel that may offend, the gospel that may be uh, what the culture doesn't want to hear. What happens, you farmers, if you put a bad seed in the ground? Are you going to get a harvest or a good harvest? So there's such a thing as sowing bad seed. There's false gospels all over the place. So you're a sower and you sow the seed, but let's make sure that we sow the good seed. We sow the true gospel, not a watered-down version, but the gospel that has power. Okay, notice what else it says. Third, we have a field or the ground. A man should scatter seed on a ground, on the field. Okay, you're responsible for your field. You don't sow in another farmer's field, you sow in your field. Okay, what's your field? What's your field? Well, the field could be 
What's your sphere of influence? Who are the people in your life right now that God has sovereignly ordained you to rub shoulders with that don't know Jesus? This could be friends, this could be family members, this could be co-workers. You have a sphere of influence. You have a, a network of people in your life that's your field. How are you sowing in that field? In other words, the people that are around you that don't know Jesus, how are you telling the gospel to them? God has placed you in that field. God has placed you in that environment. God has placed those people around you. They're different than, every, than other people that, that, that are in other people's fields. God's specifically given you a field to sow in. Okay, what's the fourth thing we see in this parable? Well, we have a time of waiting. Look at verse 27. He sleeps and rises night and day. After he's sown the seed, what does he do? you got to wait. You don't just sow the seed and automatically the harvest. There's, there's a period of waiting. There's some time. There's some patience. There's some waiting. Okay, Once you tell the gospel to somebody else, they may not, there on the spot, automatically believe in Jesus. You may have to go back and explain things a second time. You may have to answer objections. You may have to continue to pray for them. They may ask you follow-up questions that you've got to answer. They may be inquisitive, or they may be hostile, or they may care less. This could be very frustrating as you wait, because you've shared the gospel, you've told the gospel, but you don't see any response. And so what do you do? Well, you wait, and we'll talk a little bit about what that means in just a moment. So there's a time of waiting. Okay, but there's the fifth aspect. We have a time of sprouting and growing. Notice what it says. Verse 27. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. All of a sudden, there's starting to be a little sprouting of seeds and, the, and, and, and growth. Not a harvest yet, but some, some growth. Okay, this is where when you begin to wait and watch and see, you may see evidences of God's work in a non-Christian's non life. This is where you start maybe seeing a little bit of evidence of God's moving. They're asking more questions. They're open to coming to you with coming with you to church. They're, they're asking interesting questions about Jesus. They, maybe they're more responsive. You're starting to see a little bit of, of maybe some evidence of God working in their lives. Okay, sixth, we have the actual harvest with the sickle where the wheat is gathered. Verse 28, the earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear, and then verse 29, when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Okay, God's kingdom grows when there's actually a harvest, and that's when the person actually trusts Christ for salvation and they're a new creation in Christ. They're, they're a believer in Jesus. Now, you don't have any part in this because only God can do this, and we'll talk about that in just a few moments, but this is where you see evidence that they're a Christian. They may repent and believe. They may publicly profess, but this is where the harvest has come. But seventh, and I think the most important, God sovereignly does the work of bringing the harvest. How does the kingdom of God come? It comes supernaturally. Notice what it says, verse 28. The earth produces by itself. Okay, those of you that are farmers, I'm not, but a lot of you are. 
What's the one thing you can't control? You can sow, you can plow, you can irrigate, you can water, but what's the one thing you can't control? The harvest, how it's going to grow. It says the man doesn't even know. The, 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 the seed starts sprouting and he doesn't even know how it happens. And it says the earth produces by itself. That Greek word is where we get the word automatic. It's automate. It just automatically happens. So God's kingdom starts with something small and insignificant. You and me faithfully sowing the seed of the gospel. And once it leaves our mouth, we have to trust in the Holy Spirit alone to bring the harvest. We can't force or make anybody become a Christian. Now, we can sow the seed, we can water, we can pray, we can encourage, we can answer questions, we can be hospitable, uh, we can do all those things, but ultimately God's going to have to be the one that creates the Christian. 1 Corinthians 3, 6-7 says this, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Once the gospel leaves your mouth and you've told it, and you've answered objections, and you've clarified, and you've loved them, and you've served them, and you've prayed for them, and you've done everything that you can do, the one thing you can't do is birth a new believer. Only God can sovereignly, spiritually, supernaturally create a Christian. Now, the thing about it is that he uses you and me in that process. We have to be the ones to tell. Now, why would Jesus possibly tell this parable to his disciples? Why tell it? Well, here's what I think happens sometimes in churches. We pray for a harvest of evangelism. We pray. We want to see people get saved. We want to see people get, get, you know, come to Christ. We want to see a, a harvest of souls. And we really want to see this great harvest. And we think the harvest is going to come. But yet we never sow the seed. Farmers, let me ask you a question. Will your harvest come if you never sow a seed? Will this great evangelistic harvest come if you and I never sow a seed? If we don't ever tell, how can we expect there to be people saved? Now, God can do whatever God wants to do. He can save people automatically. The normal way he does that is through you and me telling the gospel to others. Charles Spurgeon tells a story about he was preaching on evangelism one time, and this guy came up to him and was pretty upset with Spurgeon. He says, listen, I've been praying for years, for 20 years for my friend's salvation. I've been praying for his salvation, and, and God's not hearing my prayers, and God's not listening, and it's just no use praying for this man's salvation because I've prayed for 20 years for him to come to faith, and he hasn't become a Christian yet. And here's what Spurgeon said to him. Have you spoken to your friend personally about his soul? Have you made it your business to go down to his house and tell him that you're concerned about him? The guy said, no, can't say that I've done so. Spurgeon said, well then, do you expect God to hear prayers of that kind? Suppose I were to pray there might be a good harvest in a particular field, and yet for 20 years I didn't sow any corn there. What's the point? I've been praying for 20 years for this guy to get saved, and God's not answering the prayer. Well, have you ever told him about Jesus? No. If you don't sow the seed... 
how can you expect the harvest? Now, we cannot bring anyone into the kingdom of God. Only God does that. It's supernatural, it's spiritual, it's sovereign. We're responsible for telling. So how do we define evangelism? How do you define evangelism? How do you define tell? It's very simple. This is, a, this is the definition of evangelism. You tell an unsaved person about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and urge them to repent and believe and trust God for the results. You tell the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and you urge them to repent and believe and you trust God for the results. You're only responsible for sowing the seed. God's responsible for bringing the harvest. He may or he may not. It's up to him. But you need to do that with boldness. Listen to what Paul prayed for in Ephesians 6, 19-20. Pray for me that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Not only do we tell the gospel, we've got to do it with boldness. Boldly. Now Paul also says, not only do I tell the gospel boldly, but in Colossians 4, 3-4, he says at the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in a prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Boldness and clarity. Are you telling the gospel with boldness? And are you telling the gospel with clarity? Are you being clear? And are you being bold? And are you being faithful as a sower, sowing the seeds of the gospel? It's a great encouragement to you in personal evangelism. Because there may be times where there's a person that you're just sharing with over and over again. You're sharing with them over and over again. You're praying for them. You don't see anything. No, nothing there. You're waiting and you're waiting, and it's frustrating. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, boom, they become a Christian. And it wasn't you that did that. It was God that did that. But you have the joy of being the one that shared and loved and encouraged and sowed. So it frees you up to realize that all you're really responsible for doing is telling the gospel with boldness and clarity and leaving the results up to God. And this also affects how we as a church do ministry. Because a lot of churches try to get responses from people by doing a lot of worldly techniques to, to manipulate, to arm twist, to try to get people to make decisions. And, and you do all these different things to try to drum up people to make decisions. This happened a few years ago, but a prominent Southern Baptist evangelist who will remain nameless had what he called a soul a month club. If you gave him $48 a month to his ministry, he would guarantee if he came to your church, there would be salvations. And if you doubled it and gave $96, it would actually guarantee the salvation of the husband and wife or the child. And I have a major problem with anyone that says they can guarantee a salvation. So how does God grow his kingdom here? Well, it's secret, it's sovereign, it's supernatural, it's, it's all by itself. But what part do we play? Well, we scatter the seed faithfully. We share it with everyone. We tell the gospel. 
And then we water the soil with our lives. We pray, we encourage, we follow up, we remain faithful, we love. And then we pray that the Holy Spirit would plow up their hearts and grant them new life. You see, we as elders in Emmanuel are very aware that only God can create this type of culture. We can't force it. We can't manufacture it. Only God can create a culture of everyone telling. We can't force you to tell. We can't make you tell. We can't, hey, we're going to get this new program. No. We want this to be a cultural change in the life of Emmanuel, where every single one of us is telling the gospel with boldness and clarity. So we can't force it to happen. We can't create the culture. Only God can. But as elders, we can do some things to facilitate this process. So what commitments do we make as elders to you to help facilitate a culture or an environment that only God can do? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, we want to continue making Sunday morning a place where the gospel is front and center, where if you invite your non-Christian friends, they're going to hear a clear gospel presentation. They're going to hear a bold gospel presentation. They're going to hear how to get saved if they come to Emmanuel Baptist Church on a Sunday morning. We want that to still be something that happens every week, the gospel proclaimed. So we want to encourage you to do that. But in addition to just the proclamation of the gospel through Sunday morning, we want to plan regular equipping events to help you in your boldness and clarity of the gospel. So, this Saturday, I will be leading sharing the gospel with confidence. It's a training. It's from 8.30 to 2 o'clock. Lunch will be provided. We need to know if you're going to bring children so we can have child care. Please sign up outside at the resource table. What we're going to do in this training is just to train you how you can be more solidly confident in telling the gospel. What practical, biblical, theological tools do you need to be more confident than you are today in telling the gospel to others? That's this Saturday at 8.30. Also, we want to continue to be a church that does evangelistic types of things. And we need your help to make sure that we're doing things that are <clears throat> that, that we don't just do things to do things. Okay, we've done things in the past. We, we went to sugar beet days. Um, we've, we've done vacation Bible school. We've done block parties. All different manner of ways that we as a church have reached out to the community, and we need to be thinking about creative ways to do that, and, and we just need to think about how we can, as a church, continue to be evangelistic in our, in our community and around the world. So the bottom line is this, as elders, in this first part of this strategy. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be unpacking teach and train, but for today, tell. Our desire as leaders is that God would create a culture, a cultural shift at Emmanuel, where every single one of us is telling the gospel. We're telling it faithfully, we're telling it boldly, and we're telling it clearly. We're sowing that seed, we're going to our fields, we're sowing it, we may be waiting, we may be um, frustrated that we don't see results, but then we trust God that he's going to bring the harvest. So, would you be a part of this vision of being one who would tell the gospel? Would you make a commitment to say, I want to be one that wants to be part of a church family that takes very, very seriously this mandate 
to tell the gospel. And would you make that commitment personally to be the sower of the seed and may God grant a harvest that can only be explained by his power and his sovereignty alone. So let me ask you to bow your heads this morning as we pray. Jesus, we're so thankful that you came to seek and save that which was lost. And every single one of us was separated from you because of our sin. And we needed to be found. And Jesus, you came looking for us. You died on the cross for us and you rose again. And you're the king and you give us the mandate, the mission to make disciples of all the nations. And one of the ways that we do that, Jesus, is by telling your gospel. Telling it with confidence, telling it with boldness, telling it with clarity. And, and so, Jesus, we, we desperately rely upon you. The Holy Spirit, this is where we as a church need to desperately rely upon you. We need you, Holy Spirit, for boldness. We need you, Holy Spirit, to actually bring someone to faith. We need you, Holy Spirit, to equip us and to encourage us to be faithful sowers of the seed. So, Lord, help us to think about people in our own life this week that you've placed in our field and ask the question, have we sown the seed, the good seed? And maybe we have sown the seed. Are we watering it? Are we praying? Are we following up? Are we encouraging? And, Lord, we do pray for those harvests where we see new people come to faith in Christ and they enter into your kingdom because they are truly saved and born again. May we be a church, Lord, that takes very seriously this mandate to tell others about the hope we have in you. Give us confidence, give us courage, give us the strategy to do that, Holy Spirit. We totally rely upon you. We are weakless, we are hopeless, we are nothing without you, Sovereign Spirit. So we pray for your help in this. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.